Well, beware of knockoffs. You know those cheap copies of products, the items intended to look like something it is not. Sometimes it's hard to imagine anyone being fooled by a knockoff because it's so badly done. So let me show you a few pictures on the screen. So if you're into PlayStation, watch out for the phony. The catcot. Uh, you have to look hard here. Instead of Beats by Dr. Dre at their headphones, it's Meats by Dr. Dre. I think you get them at a butcher's. And for those of you that like that horrible nut-based spread, Nutmaster. You wouldn't be taken in, would you? But at other times, people are taken in. They mistake the fake for the genuine original article. I saw an article where a guy... Can you believe this? His job is... He describes his job as a blogger on watches. That's what he does with his life. He writes about watches. So he knows about watches and he can spot a fake anywhere, anytime. And in the article he was talking about how some of the Swiss watch manufacturers, to make a big statement about fakes, bought up heaps of of fake Swiss watches and then at a big press conference laid them on the ground and a steamroller ran over the top of them. They weren't worth anything, of course, compared to the real thing. The recipients of the letter we we call 1 John are in the situation. They're in the situation of having to weigh up the difference between the original and genuine and the fake. And that's why 1 John is written, though it's hard to tell that from the opening verses. One of the striking things about 1 John is it isn't set up like a normal letter. You don't have a dear recipients from John at the the beginning. But it sort of reads like a letter as you go on and people sort of imagine that maybe it's not set up like that because it was delivered to different areas. It was like a circular letter. Some of the language... Here, especially in the beginning, you know, things like from the beginning, the life, we've seen it, we testify to it, the eternal life, which was with the Father, the talk about light and darkness, all that sort of language reminds people of the opening chapter of John's Gospel. And so people agree with the very, very earliest church writers who said this was written by John, the apostle, the disciple. Of Jesus, So that's how we come to call it John and because they've got a couple of others they think are written by him, it gets to be one John. You know how you shouldn't skip ahead in a novel but sometimes in a technical book or a manual it's, it's good to skip ahead and get an overview of what's coming. It's like that with one John. The people John is writing, is writing to, his recipients, they're at risk of leaving behind the genuine article, and taking on a fake. And you can really tell that uh, in the latter chapters, not so much in the opening verses that we have today. So I want to show you a few little things that are littered through the rest of the chapter up on the screen. So from chapter 2, As for you, you see what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you'll also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. You've got eternal life. It's been promised, so don't get led astray by these others. 
Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. In other words, we're the genuine article. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You see again the genuine and the fake. And finally this one. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. You've got the son, you've got life, you've got eternal life. And that last verse, as Dave mentioned before, informs our title slide for our 1 John sermon series, that you may know. That you may know you've got it, and the alternatives don't. John is writing to these people who might be tempted by the message of others who've left, gone away from the recipients, claiming they have a new and better way. And John wants to reassure them, you've got the original and the best. As they receive John's writings here, the recipients have the sun, and therefore they have eternal life to look forward to. Now, having the sun means they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which in chapter 1 there, in our reading, John labelled fellowship. So what I want to do today is look at what John writes about having, a, having fellowship or a relationship with God the Father and the Son. And the first thing is that they have a relationship. They can be confident they have a relationship with God by believing the eyewitness message. So we, we've seen that the recipients are already believers, but they're believers in danger. They've already accepted the message John proclaims. But in the opening bit of the chapter, he he writes as if they haven't heard it before. Why does he do that? Well, it's so that he can remind them of his credentials. He wants them to remember he's an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. He thinks... They need reminding of that as they're wavering with this other message and these people who are perhaps impressive and strong and saying, you're missing out, we've got the real thing. He's saying, believe this message, you've believed the right message, stick with it. It is, after all, the eyewitness message. And that's the point in chapter 1 of all those, in verses 1 to 3, of those we've heard, we've seen, with our eyes, we've looked at, Our hands have touched. What's John communicating by that? We've seen him with our own eyes. We've heard him with our own ears. We've touched him with our own hands. I'm an eyewitness. Verse 2, the life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, aren't I, when I I say he, because at first when you're reading you think, what is he talking about? The witch. And in verse 2, it. You can tell it's a person come from the Father. Again, as you read the, the similarities 
with our John's gospel jump out at you and you quickly conclude, oh, this is Jesus he's talking about. It's Jesus is the one who's eternal and it's Jesus who's appeared in the flesh and again after his resurrection. So John's telling the recipients that he's an, he has an eye, an ear and a hand witness to Jesus Christ. That means John knows what he's talking about when there in verse 3 he says, we proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. So you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you notice the key thing going on there? He's saying, accept the message that I'm proclaiming and you will begin a relationship not only with me but with God, the Father and the Son. They've already done that, of course. And so John's writing to strengthen their commitment to what they already know. And that's what's behind verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. John's joy in having a relationship with God would be heavily diminished if the recipients were lured away by these other teachers to a new way, allegedly, to have fellowship with God. John's writing to make sure that doesn't happen. So, so much is at stake with this letter. It's vital that the recipients stick with the messenger and his message. They shouldn't accept any fakes. And how much more authentic could you get, do you reckon? John is the one who has heard, seen and touched Jesus. One of the things we've got to remember here for ourselves is that Christianity is an historical faith. We've Records of eyewitnesses to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus here in our Bibles. And that's why we take our Bible reading seriously in our services, in our small groups and and privately. We shouldn't seek a spiritual experience which ignores or avoids engagement with the Bible. It's not authentic Christianity at that point. God's story is grounded in God's acts in history. And through, through those historical events, God reveals himself to the world so that we can come into a fellowship or relationship with him through Jesus. It seems that the people here, the, the other people who've left this, the group and made them unsettled, it seems that they... Have, moved, have not only moved away from the original message about Jesus, but they are acting like it doesn't matter how they live their lives. Or maybe they even are claiming they no longer sin. In any event, in the next part of our passage, John goes on to remind his recipients that it isn't just what you believe, but how you live that matters when it comes to a relationship with God. So our second point going from have a relationship with God by listening to the uh, eyewitnesses, it's have a relationship with God by walking in the light. Now, John, as an e-witness to Jesus' teaching, can proclaim a very key truth about God and having that relationship here in verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live out the truth. Walking in darkness 
there in those lines. By that he means walking in the way of sin. It means living without attention to what God wills in your life, not being open to God and his will, just doing your thing or what other people think you should do. Notice what he says here. It's impossible to claim that you have fellowship or relationship with God and live as if sin or God's will doesn't matter. He says if you try to live like that, you're living a lie. You're not living out the truth. The alternative in verse 7 is to walk in the light as he is in the light. What does walking in the light mean? What is that if God is light? Well, it's going to mean... Walking in a relationship where you seek to please and serve God, seeking to do his will in your life and relate to him appropriately as God. So I'm thinking humility, prayer, thankful praise, obedience, trust, service. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got a relationship with the one who's authored the textbook of life, you can't live ignoring his will and way and think you've it's okay. We're to walk his way every day. Now, at this point, I'm thinking cockroaches and ants. What do cockroaches do when suddenly you turn on the kitchen light at night? They scuttle, don't they, to the cover of darkness. They can't get away fast enough. The ants, on the other hand, are not frightened by the light. In the recent hot weather, we have had thousands, I think, of ants in our kitchen. Night and day, out in the light, they just keep walking along, staying on task. To have a relationship with God, you need to be like an ant. You need to enjoy the light and be in the light without fear and with desire. Have a relationship with God by choosing to walk in the light. Don't be like those who walk in the darkness, is John's message for his recipients and for us. So many of you do walk in the light. Keep walking in the light. But coming into the light of the holy God should give us pause for a moment. I mean, as a Christian, I've come into the light. I've accepted the eyewitness testimony and turned from living for myself to live for God. I know I'm not walking in the darkness. I don't live for sin and ignore God's rule in my life. But I also know I'm not perfect. In fact, as I live in the life, it shows up my areas of sin even more than when I lived in the darkness. I keep being confronted uh, through the things we do as we read our Bibles and things we do in church, I keep being confronted with attitudes, thoughts and choices that don't match God's will for my life. I still sin and disobey God's will from time to time. So does that mean I can't have a relationship with God? Am I then to be confined to some sort of twilight zone? No. And this is the most wonderful truth John tells his recipients in the passage today. Verse 7 If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we're in a relationship with God, when we're walking in the light and yet still sin, we don't lose that relationship. There's a difference between committing sin and living according to sin. For those who live according to the light and yet commit sin... 
there, those words are beautiful, aren't they? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. By the blood of Jesus, there, John is thinking of Jesus' death on the cross and his blood shed when he was a sacrifice for sin. Jesus' death means I have an ongoing cleansed status in God's eyes which is just as well for he is holy and light and I'm in a relationship with him. Isn't this a wonderful truth we can savour? Our holy God so desires relationship with us that he's made it possible for sinners like us to live in his light. Now we call that God's grace and we should feel humble, humble, deep, humble thankfulness that God would treat us this way. And so how foolish if we were to turn from God's message to something else where sin is minimised and Jesus' work on the cross isn't necessary. Don't ever fall for some spiritual way, some way of connecting with God where your sin doesn't matter and therefore Jesus' death doesn't matter, didn't need to happen. In the rest of this chapter, if, it's any, if the rest of this chapter is anything to go by, that might be what these other leaders are doing. So verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The, the people who can claim to be without sin obviously aren't seeking to walk in God's light. You can't stay, stay there for long without some blemish being exposed. So they're suffering from the worst deception of all, John says, self-deception. And then that, to top it off, reflects on God's character too because, verse 10, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Humanity's basic sinful disposition is spoken of all through the Bible. So... And that's why Jesus provided, that's why God provided Jesus to be the one through whom he could forgive us and purify us from our sins. So God is no liar, but then to say, I don't sin, I don't need Jesus, that makes God to be a liar. God's not a liar, he's a lover. And he loved us so much that he provided Jesus to be, have a look at how he puts it in verse 2 of chapter 2, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, meaning that by his death on the cross and all that achieved, he turns the Father's anger and judgment at sin away from us. And that then, from verse 1 of chapter 2, means when any of us sin, Jesus can be our advocate, speaking on our behalf, promoting our forgiveness since he's already taken the punishment for us. This is such a wonderful arrangement by God. When we walk in the light, we're in relationship with God, a relationship that goes on for eternity, which is fantastic. And this relationship continues even though we sin because Jesus' blood purifies us, atones for us and advocates for us all the time. Not that that means then that we can just, uh, like the other teachers, think that it doesn't matter how we live. Of course, it doesn't make any sense, does it? But John says it anyway in verse 1 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. 
Yeah, that should be our goal, isn't it? We are, after all, living in the light. This section contains such good, heartwarming truth about our relationship with God, living in the light, choosing God's way over sin's my way and being comforted that the blood of Jesus purifies and atones for us all the time. You know, you know what that means? You can be real. You can be real about your struggles to live in the light. You can be real with yourself and with others and, of course, with God, which is why in our services we consistently confess our sins. And we could do more of that, couldn't we, in our small groups and, and to Christian friends. It's, it's why we share where we're failing to live in the light. Don't be tempted to think that confession of sins is just some old archaic Anglican habit, something in the service that is meaningless, a, a poem that we repeat like a robot. No, it's a very real, can you see it today? It's a really real part of living and living in the light with God. We're in his light, we're in a relationship with him, but we mess up. And we need to say sorry and ask his forgiveness. But as we do it, as verse 9 states, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is wonderful. If you want a relationship with God, listen to the eyewitness testimony. If you want a relationship with God, walk in the light and enjoy the wonderful, purifying, atoning sacrifice of Jesus that God has provided to help you maintain your relationship with him. It's just, it's just wonderful. Christianity is not simply someone's something out of someone's imagination. Such an attitude to think Christianity is like that is depicted in the film... The Invention of Lying, which starts, which stars the British comedian Ricky Gervais. In the film, Ricky Gervais plays a character called Mark Bellinson. And in his world, in their world, in the film, lying and deceit is completely unknown. Uh, an epiphany enables Mark to tell the world's first lie. And then... He sees that he can use that to his own gain and he begins to harness the ability to lie for his own gain. The crisis happens when he's told that his mother, having had a heart attack, is dying in hospital. He rushes to see her. She's terrified of death and the concept of an eternity of nothingness awaiting her. And so at that moment, Mark, in his newfound skill of lying, invents the concept of heaven telling her that a joyful afterlife awaits her on the other side of death. She dies happily and the doctors and nurses in the hospital are awed by this incredible new truth because in their world you can't lie. So he's told this truth, oh, it must be true. The film portrays a belief that Christianity is just a lie invented to make people feel better about themselves and their lives, especially in the face of death. But the thing to realise is Christianity is not like that. People can make it out like that, but Christianity is based in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in historical events where God has stepped into our time and made things happen. It's not the figment of someone's imagination 
So we need to listen to that eyewitness testimony and take notice of it. To have a relationship with God, let's keep believing the eyewitness testimony and let that encourage us to keep walking in the light of God. Let me pray.